Welcome to Alfalfa, a free-flowing, irreverent, digestible, somewhat degenerate crypto podcast for all, powered by Collective Shift. Entrepreneurs and investors Armand Asadi, Nick Urbani, Steven Cesaro, and Eric Johansson dive deep into crypto, blockchain, DeFi, NFTs, the metaverse, and Web3, all while layering in the latest in tech, money, and politics, feeding you the alpha you need to grow. Make sure to check out CollectiveShift.io for crypto insights and alerts and use code ALFALFA for 50% off your first month. A friendly but serious reminder, this is not financial advice and is for entertainment only. Do your own research. Also, please subscribe to the show and tell your DGEN friends all about us. Now let us begin. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. We are uh, pumped because we have a new structure formats, yet another new structure and format that we want to share with you. But we think this is the best one yet. We're excited to dive in. I'm going to give you the agenda here in a second. Um, how are you fellas feeling? You guys ready to dive into this? Feeling good. good. Absolutely. I think daylight savings got a little natural light coming in, which is beautiful. Yeah. So what a really quick, actually quick tangent. So did that, what was the news there, Stephen? Did that get approved? What's the daylight savings news? Uh, it passed the Senate, I believe it needs to be uh, approved in the house still. So no the news is buttons. no more daylight savings time. Like that's the news. No, I think daylight savings is permanent, right? Becomes permanent. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, most people are going to be confused by that. <laughs> Our overlords are declaring via fiat that we are now, we, we have shifted time one hour into the future permanently. I mean, I think the majority of human beings hate daylight savings time. So this might be the biggest accomplishment of our government in quite some time. Um, cool. Well, let's kick off. So first of all, our Discord is going off. Uh, hop in our Discord, uh, alfalfapod.com, or the link will be below in the description. Um, this is something that we did per you guys asking. We were trying to figure out, do we do Telegram? Do we do Discord? What do we set up here? And this will basically be the beginnings of our community. There's been some fun stuff going on in there. We're in there um, along with the community as well. So definitely get in and join. And then last but not least, description below, Collective Shift. Uh, check out our code Alfalfa. There's a free 14-day trial you can check out. Uh, we're dropping tons of content every single day. One of my favorite pieces that came out recently is why is proof of stake bullish for Ethereum? I thought there was a really, really great breakdown of that. And actually, I was I sent a piece to you guys right before this. I sent one of Check Checkmate's pieces, um, who's one of the best on-chain analysts in the world. Uh, talking directly to the Bitcoin bears about why they uh, perhaps shouldn't be so bearish. So tons of great content. Check that out. And uh, let's dive into the agenda. So what we have established here is that we want to cover three areas, three segments in every episode that we do. And those go across investing, which is basically all of our crypto talk, politics slash culture, and life, philosophy, and health, everything that falls into that bucket in our life. And our intention is to cover these three segments in every episode and give you the agenda up front. So the agenda today on the investing side is Yuga Labs, the entity that owns Board Ape Yacht Club, Mutant Ape Yacht Club, just bought the CryptoPunks and MeBits, basically bought Larva Labs IP. We're going to dive into this. It's absolutely huge fucking news. It changes the entire landscape, landscape of NFTs. 
Next on politics, we're going to cover Biden blaming Putin for gas prices and inflation and whether he's justified in that or not. And last but not least, the one I'm personally most excited about that I'll be opening up is immortality. Would you, should you, is it possible? Immortality. So um, let's start off with the uh, with the fire round. Who wants to uh, give a little alfalfa up front first? I can rip. Um, so I uh, had a little bag of, um, of Luna that I sold this week. So I had about 500 Luna, sold uh, two thirds of it. Um, and the reason I sold it was obviously the Luna price kind of uh, peaked a little bit, got back up to 100. It was down uh, 50 or so a couple of weeks prior. But particularly the Luna ETH ratio had kind of had a little giga moon. And um, learning from past uh, mistakes, um, knew it was a probably good time to take some money off the table. So I traded to stables and I'm kind of putting it back into ETH. And I'm also going to put it in like a, a seed round project. Um, but anyway, sold some, sold some Terra or excuse me, some Luna, um, uh, last week. And then, um, the looks lab, uh, pass Armand, you might mention this as well. We kind of talked about this a little bit together, but, um, I had three mint passes from looks lab. I sold one of them for around 0.6 ETH. Um, and then I used the other two to, to mint, uh, the, NFTs for that project. So that's my uh, trades for the last week. Felt pretty good about them and hopefully they'll, they'll play out so far. The, the Luna trade is looking good, but time will tell. Are we going to get to hear about the uh, seed investment in a future alfalfa run? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I think so. I think so. All right, cool. cool. <laughs> Eric, you want to go? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, something I did, uh, this week was close out some of my shorts. I had been, I had been short, uh, shit stonks. Uh, and that was just like a macro play. And I closed those out this week. And, um, that's a very near term trade. Uh, like the whole, the whole like investing environment right now is driven by macro, I think. And, um, I think the macro, like with, with, uh, you know, rates coming out, Tomorrow, they're, they're probably going to raise uh, rates 25 basis points. And I think as um, investors are expecting that to happen, we might see some a little a little rally off off that news. So I'm just I'm just playing that short term and I'll, I'll flip back bearish. <laughs> I'll flip back bearish uh, shortly after that, I think. Steve? Yeah, theme of uh, theme of this week for me was uh, sitting on my hands. I didn't do anything this week. I think sometimes doing nothing is the best play, uh, especially when you got a high volatility event like uh, FOMC tomorrow coming up. I think a lot of people have been doing nothing. If you check the Bitcoin price for the last seven days, it's basically like a like a stable coin kind of consolidating. So probably expecting big moves tomorrow. I think it's probably like, 75% that we, we go up and get a relief rally and that they don't hike. And then that, but that 25% that they, they, they hike more than markets are pricing in will, will probably be pretty bad if that, that, that comes to be, but it, it does sound like everybody is pretty much expecting a, a relief rally, which, which scares me a little bit, but I'm, uh, I'm remaining optimistic for tomorrow. And Steven, this is the FOMC federal open market committee 
Federal Reserve meeting that everyone is looking at. Can you give a little more context of that? I'm curious how you'd explain that to people and the importance of it. Yeah, I mean, high level, the Fed meets, I think, around like eight times a year, although they have discretion to meet more frequently. Um, At this meeting, people are expecting them to start tightening, finally, for the first time in a long time. Uh, They've been signaling for a while that they're going to be hiking rates. Um, I've seen anything up to nine rate hikes priced in this year, which I think is personally ridiculous, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Fed likes to signal things ahead of time, you know, really hint at what's going to happen instead of just pulling, pulling stuff out. Markets hate, you know, uncertainty and they hate surprises. So they try not to, to do that. Um, So I think everybody's expecting a quarter point at this point. Uh, and I think that we probably rally if we get a quarter point because it won't be the worst case scenario. And the market is slightly pricing in some percentage of the worst case scenario. So if we don't get that, we'll probably go up a little bit and, you know, could be temporary, but it'll probably be a little relief. I mean, we, we could have a pretty big bounce. I mean, we we're really, really beat up. Wouldn't, wouldn't shock me at all to, have like a really big rally, you know, even for, for, for weeks at a time, um, perhaps even months, but doesn't, doesn't mean we're going to be out of the woods quite yet. So to Steven's point though, they, they rarely give guidance, like forward guidance on like what their rate hike schedule is going to look like, or what their tapering schedule is going to look like, or their tightening. If they do do that, that could spook the markets entirely. And like, this could get real, real ugly tomorrow. Um, so it's, it's important. Tomorrow is important. Tomorrow well, is uh, March 16th. Uh, yeah. We're recording on March 15th. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll be circling, circling back to this a little bit when we talk, um, when we talk gas and inflation, um, since it's somewhat, somewhat related for sure. But awesome. Thanks, Stephen. So for me, yeah, it was uh, the big one also similar to Nick was Look Labs. I'll just pepper it with a little bit more context. So Look Labs is uh, essentially a weed, weed as in like cannabis, NFT play to earn game, similar to Wolf Game, which we over fucking talked about and we love so dearly, Um, which by the way, you guys were talking about doing a Twitter spaces. I was like, man, we should get the Wolf Game gang together for that Twitter spaces. Those guys are amazing. One of my favorite communities by far in NFT land. Anyway, um, a lot of Wolf Game people are involved in Look Labs, and Look Labs is an even more robust version of Wolf Game, where you basically build a weed empire. So we're talking about, again, a multi-token, multi-NFT um, system, ecosystem. And we uh, I, I made a very similar move to you, Nick. I uh, got the three twice. So I had six, and I think I sold two of the passes they gave, got my principal back and some, and then I'm free rolling the rest. And for those people that'd be curious about this, you're going to want to look up Look Labs, NFT, their Twitter, go to their Discord. All the official links are inside the Discord. Always go through the official Twitter, social media accounts, or the official Discord of an NFT. And um, you'll see that you can buy essentially bud, like literally little nuggets of marijuana. (laughs) And that's how you get started uh, or a game pass. And I believe that at the moment that we're recording this, 
the price is still fair value. The game has not kicked off. You would be buying before the announcement of the actual game itself. So if you're bullish on play to earn games, which I am, uh, then I think it's a good buy. So I will be holding until the game news approaches, and then I will be selling because I ain't got time for this shit long term. I want more ETH. <laughs> Love it. That's all I have to say about that. Um, all right. Big fucking news. This changed everything. Yuga Labs buying CryptoPunks. Eric, uh, break it down, man. Yeah, I'll give some context on this. So this, first of all, is the largest acquisition in NFT history. These are the two biggest players in the entire space. And, um, you know, what I want to do is gauge your guys' opinion on how you feel about this acquisition on this on this merger, but also ask Nick um, how he's feeling about it as a, as a crypto punk holder himself, you know, because I have my feelings as a punk holder myself, I have my feelings. Um, and maybe Nick, your feelings have evolved over time because mine initially started one way and then now I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of modifying. So I guess like, that's a great place to start by the way. Yeah. So, well, I want to start with, with like the broad, like how do you guys view broadly like consolidation in the industry, particularly with the two biggest players in the space? Armand or Steven, you guys Take it. I I am very curious, Nick, as a as a punk holder, your overall sentiment. I I I love this topic. I I have a lot on it. I'll give little pieces of it throughout this segment. But I said this the other. I said this during our barbecue. Like ultimately, this is an M and A deal, just like in traditional business. But what's most fascinating about it is that every other NFT collection is nothing more than a creator like us, a developer or two, an artist, and a Discord and a Twitter. Like. We're talking about bare bones. It's not even a business. The fact that Yuga Labs is approaching their entire uh, business with this level of professionalism, and by the way, uh, news coming out that there's possibility of uh, a fundraising event with A16Z, a $5 billion valuation. There's a lot happening that is going to affect this industry in huge ways. So my very big picture, like, you know, without going into detail sentiment is that this makes me more bullish than ever for NFTs. This uh, tells me that the we're in the earliest stage of some of the marketing because the kings of marketing are Yuga Labs and the Board Ape Yacht Club, which is the exact opposite of the CryptoPunks community and culture, which, which I would love to get into and how that might play out. But overall, I think there's a lot of pros and also a lot of cons to this whole deal, but net positive in the end for me. Yeah, I think it's clearly positive for the NFT space as a whole. I would be curious if anybody has a argument against that. I think the more nuanced point is whether or not it's uh, positive for for crypto punks and crypto punk holders. Um, I think I, I think even for punk holders, it's it's a net positive. Um, there were issues with punks, right? Like the big the big gripe that's been in the punk community is that punk holders have not had the same intellectual property rights with their punks that bored ape users enjoy with their apes. And it was this like really weird dynamic that existed, right? Where everybody's trying to market punks as this, oh, it's like the Bitcoin of NFTs. It's the OG NFT. It's so 
it's so decentralized and counterculture and OG, but, but at the same time, like there's like some, you know, centralized authority there basically willing to sue you if you use your uh, punk to do anything other than put it on like a hat. Right. I think like you could make a hat with your punk as some of you have done, but like you don't have any digital <laughs> rights, which is kind of useless for, uh, for NFTs. No uh, commercial it's, it's been like very apparent. Yeah, it's been very apparent that Larva Labs, the, the founders of CryptoPunks, are are not business people and don't really want to be business people. So th- there were there were only so many outcomes I think that could happen in the long run here. The, the the first was that this like status quo sort of persisted, which was like really crappy, or they were going to make an effort to monetize internally, which was probably not going to happen because they don't want to run a business. Clearly they just kind of want to make art, which is cool, but they're not business people. And the, the, the last alternative was that they, they sold the rights to somebody. So I think it was inevitable that the rights got sold and it's probably a, a, a good thing that it went to Yuga because it could have gone to, it, it could have gone to a, a, like a thousand other different corporate, like, like if they sold CryptoPunks to Nike, right? That's probably the death exactly. of CryptoPunks. Like, like there, there are a lot worse things that could have happened here. I think Yuga's demonstrated that they're like really good in the space. I mean, we were talking about a project that started like a year ago, basically, that has just gone on to basically buy out the biggest project in, in existence, like the, the OG project, right? So they seem to know what they're doing. Um, there's obviously fears, I think, that... You know, like, like punk people tend to think that, well, and I don't want to speak for all punk people, but there's this like idea in the punk community that like the apes are kind of a little bit cringe in terms of like the, the marketing, especially. Um, and they would hate it if they like, if like Yugo were to start marketing punks, like they market um, apes. But I, I think the Yugo people are pretty obviously good businessmen. They, sort of i think understand the the like this very basic concept that that when you have like a brand you can kind of leave it in its own brand silo and let it be that brand you know you don't have to like smush all of your brands together like all the you know the great corporations that have that have done this kind of multi-brand portfolio know that and i i expect the same to happen here and yeah i think it's going to be i think it's going to be good for the the space because i i i have this thought and a lot of people have this thought right that like we're 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 going to evolve what it means to be an NFT uh, right now. Everybody's just like, Oh, look at this little profile pic I have on my Twitter account. But in the future, I think it's going to be so much more than that. I think we're going to start to see a lot of like kind of um, media be developed around NFTs. You're going to see, you know, you might start seeing stuff in movies and TV shows and in just turning these things more into sort of characters in the same way that, you know, people watch Star Wars movies and they wanted to go out and buy Star Wars merch. You know, I think we're going to start seeing people experiment with that in the NFT space. That 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 opens this up to like happen with crypto punks for people to kind of do things with their punks that they couldn't do before. I know that like G Money especially was was trying to like you know do a lot of things in the punk space with punk comics and some other stuff and he couldn't couldn't like use his punk his like famous eight punk like any any of his marketing because he didn't really have the rights to it um which is just seemed kind of whack so i look forward to the door this opens can agree more nick 
I mean, I think the first thing to mention is how caught off guard and what a surprise this this deal was. I mean, we, Eric, we had a little rumblings and rumor rumblings in the CryptoPunks telegram we're in, um, but I wasn't even paying attention enough to um, to see them. And so when it got announced, I was totally caught off guard. And I think um, I didn't even, I think, think of it as an option, um, you know, prior to this happening. And I think if you would have polled CryptoPunk owners and say, you know, let's assume you have a vote in this deal, would you like it if Yuga Labs acquired CryptoPunks? I think you'd have a supermajority saying no. And, mm-hmm. you know, half of crypto Twitter just throwing a fit over, over you know, board, the owners of Bored Apes and, and uh, Mutant Apes kind of acquiring the IP. So... You know, the fact that they kept it quiet was like a very good execution on, on their part, um, because I think it would have been really bad if this thing would have would have leaked and would have been way worse than than it did now. And now that it's it's done, uh, I guess at first I was I was a little bullish um, and now I'm just kind of a little nervous. Um, <clears throat> I will say that um, I think this is better than what Larva Labs was planning on doing. They hired like a, a third tier um, agency to kind of represent their IP rights. And this right. came out maybe like nine months ago or something. Um, and it was a little questionable what they're going to do with it. You know, are they going to create this cringe Netflix special? Or are they going to put a movie about it? And you know, the risk was to the downside in all of these projects that people were dreaming up. You know, one thing that I've always kind of hung on to is something that Steven said is that you look at all the maybe creative art slash culture pieces in humanity, they never really had a marketing engine behind it. Like the Mona Lisa is a good example, right? The Mona Lisa never had an agency marketing its value. It just kind of had this, these natural things about it that um, created value and, and, and kind of humanity decided over time that it had value. And, and CryptoPunks was the ultimate because it started off free. Um, you could mint it for free. It started in 2017 as one of the first NFTs. Um, there's no royalty fees on on trading. Um, it's even an old version of a uh, uh, an ERC t- uh, t- token. So it, it kind of dates back, has some cultural significance. Um, what I look forward to is Yuga Labs just giving out the copyright, uh, like kind of going open with it, letting punk holders um, do it with what they want and then not doing anything else. I don't want mm-hmm. them to do anything else on that. If all they did was give punk holders the rights to use them in their, in a business and whatever they, they want to do, um, that would be a big win. And they don't have to do anything else other than that. Uh, a few more points. Like if you look at when board apes kind of really started to, to lift off is when they announced that board apes, you have the copyright license, you can do whatever, you want with your board apes and you saw um jimmy dot i forget his like twitter name but jimmy eth i think is his twitter name and nikki ads who's snoop dogg's manager they created a band of board apes no one knows who's behind who's like the artist behind it but they created a band and then you had jenkins the valet create a uh, team up with neil strauss a uh, you know multiple uh time best-selling author to kind of license these punks or excuse me, these apes into a, a book. Um, so you have all these like creative things coming up 
And I think that's what I would hope going forward is that they open up the copyrights and punk holders naturally turn them into, um, you know, their own unique projects. And that is the marketing behind it and touch nothing else. The, the last thing I'll mention, we could chat about a little more is I think the biggest loser is OpenSea from this, because one thing that, that CryptoPunks had was their own marketplace before OpenSea started. And, and as a punk holder, you don't trade on OpenSea, even though it's one of the, you know, top traded NFT projects, you trade on the Larva Labs website. And so Larva Labs has a lot of great technology around their own private marketplace. And they have a lot of technology behind Mebits. And, you know, maybe Yuga Labs, in addition to freeing up the copyright, will also, um, you know, create their own private marketplace for Bored Apes, Mutant Apes, and the whole collection. And could start, uh, you know, somewhat of a competitor to, um, to, to OpenSea. Um, Yuga Labs so anyway, itself. Will. Yuga Labs itself. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. you know, if they're smart, because, you know, sure. OpenSea takes a two and a half percent rip. So get, give give their community, um, which would certainly follow them, uh, a private marketplace to transact. That's that's like a one that's in the a, cons bucket for, you know, the consolidation aspect that overall perhaps is, is not a good thing for the NFT industry. But then you'll just see more and more of those pop up and why, why is consolidation not good for the nft industry you asking me yeah I mean, do, doesn't do it seem that? a little doesn't it seem a little against the ethos of the whole thing we're, we're in is consolidation yeah, I, I've, I've, always, I've always thought this whole narrative is just like bullshit right like I, I don't think anybody cares about decentralization and like nfts to like the extent that bitcoin is decentralized right i think there's some sort of like min like viable amount of like permissionlessness that like i think people find like cool but like the idea that like all these nft projects are just going to sprout into existence like like bitcoin and then just 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 go out there and be valuable forever and just exist on there like it it just doesn't make any sense to me like nfts have always seemed to me more like kind of like in the, the the line of like brands um and I don't, I don't see anything wrong with like these, these kind of big, you know, you call them future. They're going to be future corporations or conglomerates, right? I mean, Yuga Labs is, Yuga Labs might For be like sure. a ten billion dollar company right at this point, yeah. right? That's, that's crazy. The platform crazy. thing is okay. The platform thing is okay. What's more important is the IP thing. If there's going to be a consolidation of platforms and you have to go to a specific company's platform to purchase that NFT. That's okay. As a user, I'd rather have a platform that has everything like LooksRare, OpenSea, all in one place. I can browse, I can compare. I have the same charts. I have the same data. I like that as a user. But, but like, sure, but if I have to have go that, to Yuga right? Labs, we're going to have aggregators. We already have sure. aggregators. We already have up. that. People are building them. Like this, this is... This is just going to be a thing in the future, right? Like the liquidity of the NFT market is going to get split and it's going to get split like crazy. Like we haven't even launched Coinbase NFT yet, right? There's going to be multiple Coinbase NFT, centralized NFT marketplaces. You know, we're going to start seeing more like iPhone apps that do NFT. There's going to be like fragmented liquidity all over the place. And there's going to be a whole uh, market of trying to to aggregate this stuff and make it easy on the user. Um I, I also I, I don't think it's that big of a deal though, right? Like if it's like if you're a user and you're shopping like up for like an ape, like yeah, this is are you really not going to buy it because you you know no you no know. consolidation only matters uh, to like to Nick and I. We care about the consolidation because we don't want to lose the ethos of our project. 
Like it's it's not necessarily about the consolidation itself. It's the fact that like Bored Apes had their own projects ethos. CryptoPunks had their own. CryptoPunks was sort of regarded as this like do nothing profile picture, but it was just the OG. And Bored Apes was this like highly commercialized, you know, uh, competitor that ended up, you know, actually flipping CryptoPunks recently. But it's like, uh, I think CryptoPunks at large don't want the yacht parties and the Miami, uh, you know, like the mm, Miami gatherings or whatever. There it's was like, there was actually a lot of stuff going on during NFT NYC la- last year that I found tweets around where people were upset in the CryptoPunks community that there was not a single gathering or anything like that happening while there was this huge like bored ape gathering happening. So I think that's okay. partly true, but, but you but, guys, I speak to the holders, you guys had your little breakfast. Like you guys like that stuff okay, too, on. don't like, you? I think it's, it's a fair point to, to point out. And then let me, um, let me actually just draw upon some actual feedback because uh, Nick and I are part of this, this group chat with like Ooh. really, really awesome people in the NFT space. Like I won't quote any of them directly, but I'll, I'll, I'll like, I'll, T's who's in there. It's like, it's like G money and Farouk and D's and Richard, like the biggest players in the NFT space are in this chat with us and they're all giving their feedback on the deal. And I think what, what kind of started at first was like this reluctance. I think everyone's identifying the risk that's associated with like a, a, a new owner, you know, as like, as Yuga Labs takes over, they, they can like maybe fuck this up for us. Um, and DC investor, he tweeted this. So I'll, I'll, so I'll quote him. He said, "Like it feels like my favorite corner bar just got turned into an Applebee's." And I think that I think that's kind of fair. Uh, that's like how I was feeling at first, but like my my sentiments have evolved. And I think uh, the reason why is because it's like it's easy to disassociate um, an ownership group from a brand. You know, like Bored Apes are a brand underneath Larva Labs or sorry, underneath Yuga Labs, right? Bored Apes mm-hmm. is a brand. Like they can have a different brand. They can have CryptoPunks mean something else for, you know, like it can be its own brand. And I think that's that's totally fair. Um, here's a, a quote from somebody. This is a very bullish quote. Um, somebody said, punks are Kanye before Rockefeller. <laughs> They're about to become Kanye West. Gonna go up. They'll lose a little bit of soul but we're going to go up. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to lose a lot of soul, man. So the, I, I think I, the fear, the fear is losing the soul. I think that's, yeah. that's it. But uh, so here's like, I think some news leaked that they were going to go out. Like, I think maybe you guys even talked about it. Like Yuga Labs is literally going to create their own metaverse and they're going to use the ape token as the currency in their own metaverse. So this, this um, acquisition was uh, maybe like a week ago when I was like looking through these messages there was like 1700 messages to read through. So I read through all of them and people were saying like, they're, they're actually more interested in me bits because in their metaverse, they wanted like the, the greatest avatar 3d technology and that's me bits. So they got it for their, for their metaverse. Um, and they had like previously partnered with this uh, 3d animation company called Animoca. So like they were kind of like telegraphing their moves already, just trying to go to this metaverse um, but the interesting thing now is that they, Yuga Labs now owns all of Matt and John's crypt, uh, punks. They own all the punks. So they, I don't know how many right. punks they have now, but it's in the hundreds of punks. 14, so it's in there. 1400, I think I read. So yeah, okay, whatever it is. 
Oh, me, but I think 1400 Mebits is probably like 200 punks or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't remember how many, but it's like, it's a ton of punks. They own more punks than they own board apes. So it's like, it's in their interest wow. now to make punks 200. still uh, winners. Um, and then lastly, yeah. um, one, one person in this chat says, you know, basically to Steven's point on how like Matt and John, the original founders of Larva Labs weren't doing anything for the community. This guy goes, in all fairness, um, Yuga has already done more for the community than Larva Labs ever did. Um, and that was just basically buying, buying Larva and giving us the rights. Yeah. And, you know, when we were, when Nick and I were at the, at the breakfast in Denver, there was like a consortium trying to like buy out the, the rights, our IP rights. Like there was like kind of like a, you know, like people were murmuring in the crowd, like, are we going to buy the rights? And like, we just got Dude. them. We just got them for free. Dude, what you, I, I what think you guys, that this was... Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, I, I, I like... What, what do you guys think about the future of ape and punk prices? Because I, I think this is bullish for punks, but I think it's more bullish for, for apes. And I, I used to be like really dead set that you know punks were long term going to always be higher value than apes but i don't i don't know if that's true anymore right like i don't know if you can be like the og crown jewel project but you're just like an acquisition from some totally startup right like how yeah. do you reconcile those yeah two that things? was their that's, baby they'll make a sure great their question. baby i mean wins. that was my that was my final question to nick is like how does this affect our bags uh, meaning punk holders. And like, I, I used to have this uh, feeling inside. <laughs> it was like this proud feeling of like being a punk, you know, it's like, no, we're the OGs. We're the first, like we're the baddest in, in land. And now it's very clearly like an adopted stepchild kind of feeling. Um, and like, you know, you this guys may not business. be the last though, Eric, this may not be the last, like th there's a lot that can happen and unfold over the next five to 10 years. It's not the across last the so, space as a whole. So, so just whether like, you end up number one or number two, I think it's, it's still, it's still a great situation. So when we were hanging it's out on Sunday, I made like the counterpoint that like, you know, Walt Disney company started uh, Mickey mouse and, you know, all, all their original content, but then they acquired, Star Wars and Marvel Avengers, et cetera. And like Marvel and Avengers are doing way better than Mickey Mouse is right now. Their baby is Mickey Mouse, but like they've acquired this other asset that's performing way better. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you just like stick to your baby only. Um, mm. And now they, and, and, but, but here, here's one of the interesting things no one has pointed out yet. So Larva Labs did not make money off the transaction fees, right? They did not make money on, there was no royalties. And there still can, there still will not be with Yuga Labs. They don't have a monetization strategy on this acquisition. There is well, no they bought clear, all of they bought all Larva Labs as uh, punks, though, right? Like, like they just four hundred. That was part of the deal, or something, right? Just make yes. number go up, I guess. That was part yeah. of the deal, but we have no idea what the number is, what the transaction amount was to, for this acquisition. Point being, I'm sure there's an amount of money that they need to make off this deal long-term. The best thing that they did was give the rights to the punk holders because you guys, and I'm referring to you guys as punk holders, like there was a, that was a pretty 
fucking serious situation. That was a contentious situation. And it was only getting worse. And I think what happened is the larva labs got obviously what happened. I mean, look, it happened two months later. They immediately went, whoa, we are not cut out for this. To Stephen's first point is like, they are not business people. They want to create. They're artists. They found an opportunity to align with a group of people that do what they can't do. And it allows them to continue their little incubator of creativity underneath the Yuga Labs umbrella. But you both said something that I think was wishful thinking, if I may. There is no way they're ever just going to say, okay, all we're going to do is give the punk holders the IP rights and then watch the rest unfold. No way. They're going to integrate this thing into their games, into their into their sports uh, opportunities. I mean, whatever media opportunities, TV, movies, whatever it is, they're going to fully utilize these things as much as they can. So there will be a top-down executive gonna, like, strategy. of separate from ape culture, though. I, like, I think sure. there, that, that, there's, that, there's a difference totally. between like trying to add value versus bringing them adjacent to the apes, which like I don't think that they'll do. No, um, no, they won't do that. But they won't just be like, here you go. We're not going to do anything with this. Well, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I don't think anybody said that. I don't think anybody thought they were just buying them out of the goodness of their heart to just gift all the IP to people. No, I I'm addressing. I'm addressing is. a specific point, dude. Nick said that exactly. So I hope that that's what they do. And I'm saying I don't believe that they will do that. That was the point I'm yeah. addressing. Yeah, well, like, I don't think they're going to just leave them there and do nothing. Yeah, we're saying the same anybody, thing, bro. We're saying the exact same thing. That. Well, I didn't realize so I, Nick I said think- that. Yeah, uh, the first thing they think can't crazy do is talk, Nick. they can't apply <laughs> they can't apply a royalty fee to punks. That's that was like my right. first. I was like, can they do that? They they literally can't do that. Like the the free open marketplace is built in to the smart contract of CryptoPunks, so you can't just like slap on a royalty fee. So that would be like a simple. Oh, they couldn't even do it if they wanted to. You're saying right, right, because that would be like yeah. the simplest like business value add of all yeah. time. It's like, oh, it's built just, like, into the contract. Some, right, so you can't do that. Um, have you guys heard of this guy named, uh, his name's actually Guy, Guy Osiri. He was like mm-hmm. the, uh, the talent agent. Um, I think he represents like U2 and Madonna. He's the guy that um, Yuga Labs, Bored Apes, uh, partnered with. And I think it was like an overwhelming, like there's a consensus in the CryptoPunks chat that this individual, Guy Osiri, has been like solely responsible for the full commercialization and like celebritization of board apes. So, hmm. um, you know, like the fact that we got like Gwyneth Paltrow and, uh, you know, Bieber Paris and whoever Hilton. else, Paris, yeah, yeah, whoever else, like it's all because of this guy's connections. So I think like everyone in, in this chat respects this individual and is like, you know, having this guy now on our team is, is an asset. Um, yeah, so I guess as long as you're okay with some of these being given away to, you know, well, we're, we're just going to l- lose a little bit of our our like OG crypto focused yeah. ethos. I think that's what we're going to have to sacrifice. It's the it's the Kanye thing. You're, you're gonna lose I, a I'm with bit you of guys. I, I hope that these two brands can remain as um, you know exclusive as possible, and that the creative incubator of larva labs just keeps doing its thing and and CryptoPunks maintains its culture unfortunately it's basically like apple buying microsoft like after a certain amount of time and they kind of are by the way i think you guys agree with that kind of general like you know the comparison of the brands 
um, the, the whole the whole thing though, how it's going to play out over time, could completely change. I have a few little things that I thought about as well. I just thought I would mention on this topic, like some pros and cons. So, I think the biggest pro by far is this IP rights thing. It's impossible to predict how big that's going to be. I think it's absolutely massive, which leads to the value of the collections as a whole going up, both of them, all of them, all these collections, the popularity increases. CryptoPunks are not nearly as mainstream as Bored Apes. They will become more mainstream. Derivative works are huge. They were not possible before. Now they are possible. Uh, CryptoPunk holders being at odds you know, with their creators, that wasn't good. That, that wasn't a healthy environment for owners. And many prominent like figures sold because of that. And I think now you're going to see a different type of holder come in and that has good and bad associated to it as well. But yeah, like I said, streetwear, events, more NFTs, way beyond just a profile picture. And ultimately the holders win as a result of that. Um, but a few, but a few things that I think are concerning is I think the contrast between the brands will reduce. Right now, there's a lot of contrast, and it's impossible for them to not for for the board ape culture to not seep into the CryptoPunk culture to a certain degree. I also think CryptoPunk holders don't really respect the board ape yacht club community. Like that's right, super we, true. Nick, do we have to give our seed phrases up right now? Like right on demand, <laughs> we just have to give it up. <laughs> All right, I saw our crypto tweet. IQ uh, decreased uh, immediately I saw, upon acquisition. I saw, I saw a tweet that said. CryptoPunks just got acquired by some guys that don't even know what a blockchain is. <laughs> no respect, man. What's, what's that Billy Madison quote where he's like, everyone in here is now dumber because of what you just said. And maybe <laughs> I'm teasing, but, uh, you know, there's definitely a little bit of that, uh, uh, talk going around. So Armand, you're probably right. They're not going to just, you know, open up the rights and just sit on it. Right. There, there has to be some, uh, profit motive, you know, even if it's in the long term. what I hope what those things are, I wouldn't mind a little bit of centralization around the merchandise, uh, mm-hmm. specifically, you know, getting, uh, punks merch in the hands of punk owners. Um, I wouldn't even mind if it's beyond punk owners. Um, but I think that's one thing that, um, people kind of deep into the community have done on their own. You know, I have uh, a few pieces, Eric created some, we kind of just done it on our own. It'd be nice to have that uh, available. And, it, and like, I think a crypto unique way would be interesting. Um, and then second would be getting more punk owners in person in in-person events. You know, if they centralize some personal meetups, because I do think the power now that the copyright is in the hands of the punk holders, I do think the the, the long-term power of this community is, what the community actually creates um, and how can they commercialize it and turn it into unique projects that are only unique to, to crypto and turn them into some, um, you know, businesses that, that have their own profit motive, but, but also, you know, kind of spread the word and spread the, the value. Like if you look at any networked uh, type of business, the more nodes, the more valuable those nodes, the, the more valuable the, uh, the network gets. So I'm hoping that, you know, there are zero tangential businesses created from punk copyright, but, but maybe, you know, a few years from now, there will be a few businesses that are created and few projects that are created from it. And and that, that will spread. Um, 
Stephen asked, you know, what do you think about prices long term? I've always questioned whether um, CryptoPunks and any NFT project, for that matter, will um, beat out ETH. Meaning, yeah, are we talking dollars or ETH? You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah. the ultimate question you have to ask: is like, will this earn you more ETH in the long run? And if it doesn't, then you're losing dollars. Um, and if you're in it for the sole purpose of making money, then you have to always ask that question. Um, so they, you have to factor in inflation, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like you five years out, time dollars, you got to beat, you got to beat dollars. <laughs> you like, got to beat out like, like a eight, 10% inflation and, and you got to beat out ETH, which, you know, has shown like 180%, uh, you know, annual returns since inception. So you have to keep that in mind with any NFT project. And I've kind of in my private chats with Eric and other punk holders, like always asking the question, do we think this is going to beat out ETH? And I'm, I'm always been skeptical that it, that it will. Um, So we'll see how this, this plays out um, in the long run. But I think for anyone, you know, getting into NFTs, as a beginner, even the question is, will you make more ETH in the long run? And if you won't, then, um, you know, just stack, stack more ETH. That's an I think like by scarcity, the way. scarcity though. Like, uh, there's only, there's only 21 million Bitcoin. There's only 10,000 crypto punks, but there's, you know, 200,000 right now, PFP, you know, projects or yeah. excuse me, PFP NFTs that you could buy into. And there will be 2 million and, yeah, sure. and there were a ton of ICOs in 2017 and, you know, three assets probably made it to, uh, you know, $80 billion market cap. I mean, it, it's up to Yuga Labs to screw up, right? Like, I think they could yeah. certainly screw it up, but they've, they've, at least their messaging is on point. You know, we're not going to do much. We're going to give you the rights. We're going to listen, see what people create and then kind of go from there. Um, but I would love a little merch site. You connect your, you connect your wallet it verifies you're the owner and it now shows you like all the merch you can buy like i think the the more they just put punk owners together in a community particularly in person the more value it'll naturally create they don't have to do much i just think it, we should transition on this topic i just think it's absolutely nuts that this company it's a, it's a few a handful of people there's also a female a woman involved right um started this project in like january of last year 13 months ago, launched April 23rd, like 10 months ago, and just acquired the number one project of all time that started four years before them and are probably worth five to $10 billion. Right. They're, they're raising at a $5 billion valuation. They what started the less fuck? than a year ago. This probably is the, the fastest <laughs> rocket ship of all time in any business ever. So I think that's that probably should be the through line to this whole thing. Uh, the alpha is to get building, folks. You know, yeah. I think that's that's the the alpha still. Sell yeah. NFTs, don't buy them. Yeah, I think, we should, <laughs> I think we should probably wrap it and transition. I'll give you like Let's one parting one. thought no. from Cosmo uh, de Medici. I think he put out a tweet talking about how uh, it's sort of inevitable that all all great art, which is counterculture, eventually becomes mainstream as sort of like a part of its hero's journey. So we shouldn't really expect mm-hmm. uh, anything different from, from punks and what's happening isn't necessarily abnormal. So mm-hmm. well, chew so. on that. Cool. Chewing. Well, Steven lob up the uh, set the stage here. 
on. Um, oh, I'm just gonna take a hard left, hard hard left into politics. Time, time to yeah, that was a perfect little bow. I know I should have uh, I should have prepared a more. Uh, yeah, what's on your mind, Stephen? There, what's on your mind? <laughs> uh yeah, I, I I'm I, I feel like I'm being I feel like I'm being gaslit, boys. I feel like I'm being gaslit by the the Biden administration. I feel you. Um, I feel you. I feel I you. I feel that. like. Uh, I I feel like back in the day, right? Like we always had these kind of narratives kind of planted in us from the government and the media, and but like maybe we weren't like as attuned to it back then. But now everything seems like really like blatant and and, and obvious to me. Like things. Like people are pulling strings and trying to poke your buttons, and it's 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 not subtle anymore, you know. I, I think the uh, what really embodied this for me is the last week, just the just seeing the rollout of uh, Putin's price hike, Putin's price hike, Putin's price hike. Everywhere I look, it's uh, Putin's price hike. It's on all the big checkmark Twitter accounts. It's in all the all the newspapers. It's in like the press conferences, right? <clears throat> Putin's price hike and. <laughs> I, like it, to, to, it's not so much a policy thing to me so much as the fact that like they 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 really do think that all of us are just really stupid they either stupid or just so desperate to defend the the red team or the blue team that they know will just sort of like latch on to anything that they they throw out and and this to me is like such a example of this you know and be, because I'm because I'm more than you know 40 days old I, I i remember a time when 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 gas has been going up basically for the last you know year year and a half nonstop. i i think gas was already up 60 percent year over year before the invasion happened and then we had like another like blip and it was it was noticeable but like this has been a thing that's been happening for quite some time and it's it's not the result of Ukraine. It's the result of like a variety of policies that have been pursued, like many of them by this administration. Um, and they're sort of trying to pass the buck off, you know, using the war. And it seems like they're, they're trying to pass a lot of bucks using the war. Right? They're passing the gas buck, right? They're trying to pass the inflation buck in general, right? Like, oh, it's inflation. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. This war. God, inflation's going to happen. Oh, it's such a bummer. Such a bummer. Like we we might not have had that before, but now, oh God, I just wish we could do something about it. But yeah, yep, inflation, um, and they're 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 also sort of quietly sweeping COVID under the rug too. It's just like while this war has been going on over here, it's like suddenly like I I, I haven't seen Tony Fauci on TV. When was the last time you saw Fauci? He's like no, gone. It, like it was right. Exactly, they're rolling back. They're rolling back all these regulations, and they're doing it kind of quietly and, and like meanwhile there's been like no change in like deaths like i looked at the death stats and i was like shocked to notice that they're like they're like, still trending up in like <laughs> a lot of no, areas it was the, it was the state of the union the, the state of the union address he just goes like yeah and i don't know if you saw this but the cdc said uh yeah we don't need masks anymore and then just like moved on with the state of the union <laughs> yeah and it's just like i i feel like my eyes have been really open to the fact that reality is just not what it's presented to us as and like a lot of the stuff that we think we know or this this is what's happening is what isn't happening this is what it's just all kind of fake to a degree right like i'm not saying that like covid wasn't real but like 
when we decided to have the policies when they were politically expedient and we swept them under the rug as soon as they became unpopular, right? It didn't have anything to do with like facts, logic and science. And you're, you're, you're seeing the same thing now with this other stuff. We're just constantly being distracted and, you know, pushed all these narratives. And it's like really hard to parse what's actually happening in the world now. Right. I mean, even with the war itself, like it's, it's very confusing. I, I find it confusing. Like I, I'm seeing takes from a lot of sides, um, not even like, you know, from the administration, but just generalized takes about we, we should be here. We shouldn't be here. We should be more isolationist. We should be more proactive. And it's, 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 uh, yeah, it, it's rough out there. So I just, so what, just what direction do you want to got, what direction do you want to guide this in? Because I think like, we all yeah, agree that question. like we're being fed a line of bullshit by the administration. Uh, I think my first thing is like, are we, are we uncommon? The four of us here, like we see this and we, we read total bullshit. No. Like, are we, are we uncommon or is everyone? No. I think actually, I think many people are reading this is complete bullshit. Uh, and I think that's this, probably part of like the whole, the whole thing. So like this distrust. The sector that's, that was going to be, an observation I've been having lately is like the sector of society that used to just accept this bullshit is shrinking. And you can see this as true. If you just go on social media and you go on certain people's profiles that represent different types of thinking across the full spectrum, the political spectrum, and you see that on both sides or all sides for that matter, everyone is laughing at this comment that, Russia and the war is responsible for the gas prices. And everyone, not everyone, a larger and larger segment of people are saying, do you think we're stupid? Like the exact comment that Stephen just made. That gives me so much hope in general as, as a citizen, as a global citizen, as an American, as a person who is very concerned about the level of bullshit and how difficult it is to parse out what's true anymore and what reality is it seems like human beings are starting to focus more on the conversation that they're having amongst each other than they are what they're being told from the external world looking in. They're, they're kind of going to each other in the grassroots level and saying, what is true? What do, you know, in, in these types of conversations, that, that gives me hope personally when I see stuff like that. I think yeah, it's I think important. We're all just uh, having like a big uh, emperor has no clothes moment, I hope collectively and i am seeing that like splitting of people like when i when i read twitter like there's like actually like a delineation in my like when i parse through the comments i look at people and i'm like oh you're one of the you ever see the meme with like all the anons just with like all like the little like cnn thing and they're just they're just just like repeating stuff right and actually i, I see that, that meme every you, time you describe a meme popular. i'm like i know it's like the i, I support the that. current thing meme right yes, like that yes. that character <laughs> and like there's like people who are like asleep and there's people who are awake and i'm just like seeing that like dichotomy kind of more and more now when i'm like looking through twitter i'm like oh you're a you're a bot like not like sometimes it probably is like an actual bot but i'm just saying like you you're like a you're like a robot like you're just you're just like taking in stuff and spitting it back out and not doing any critical thinking. And then there's like all these people who are very clearly like not having it anymore. And, you know, there's this kind of like 
And there's bots on both sides, right? There's people who are like, there's like the, the blue and the red bots and they're just sort of like fighting each other just mindlessly like while like all this stuff is happening. And then there's the people who've kind of stepped outside of it and they're going like, wait a minute, this shit's, this shit's like really, really whack. I think we should point out how brazen, you know, Biden's comments and just the administration general's comments about blaming this on uh, a war in Europe is. So uh, last Thursday, so by the time this publishes about one week ago, uh, Biden had this quote, and this was immediately after um, they came out with uh, February's inflation number. And the inflation number was 7.9%. And it shows the, the last 12 months of inflation basically comparing this February to the previous February. So last 12 months of inflation. Um, and just for context, the invasion happened, uh, I think, uh, the 24th. So it's the last four days of February. Okay, so he says this quote, today's inflation report is a reminder that Americans' budgets are being stretched by price increases and families are starting to feel the impact, the impacts of Putin's price hike. So he labels it Putin's <laughs> price hike that it was four days out of a 365 day data set, you know, in which the impact hadn't fully been felt by the market. And so, you know, it's just so brazen. And they, they, they started using this, you know, in January's uh, uh, inflation print started just talking about, you know, the prospects of war in general and kind of like sucking up the news cycle instead of to distract us from this inflation print. So it, it just shows you how brazen and how stupid they think we are of, you know, that, that well, four days it, of data last three rinse- Nick, you called it on the, on our last recording. Totally said, Here's it. what they're going to do. And uh, you know, I think uh, to all of our points, it was like, it's not necessarily a Biden issue. It's like anyone who was in power at that time would have used the same tactics because it's just like a, it's a simple way to try to distract the populace it's easy but um as long as the populace is stupid but we're saying right. that people are, and, are are waking up and here's here's i think i have th- i wrote down three points that i think you know we're, we're kind of like uh pride ourselves on being in the center of the road and kind of being willing to to be open to uh both views and and try to focus more on data but i think that there will be three points that you know, most people will latch onto and it, and it hopefully won't kind of impact uh, the voting in the midterms. One, the COVID relief bill that they passed, uh, Biden passed in early 2021 was super inflationary. It was $2 trillion. It wasn't necessary. All I had to do was like, just let the economy grow and develop. And we would have been roughly in the same place we are now. The, the infrastructure bill was a great bipartisan you know, second. So infl- the infrastructure bill was a good example of like bipartisan agreement, but still when you pass a multi-trillion dollar bill that sucks up, you know, commodities, you know, no matter where you spend it, inflation is going to go up. And then third is like the Keystone pipeline. You know, it was, I think he, he kind of banned it in, in day one of his presidency. And you look nine months after that decision, you had a 60% increase in the oil price from, from that decision. So you, you know, I, I think for the most part, if you exclude the people who identify themselves as, as blue only, and kind of like what Steven said, just kind of follow whatever narrative the, the, you know, blue party is kind of echoing at the time. I think people will remember those three things that, 
you know, the COVID relief wasn't necessary. It was inflationary. Infrastructure is a great bipartisan bill, but also inflationary. And the Keystone Pipeline of limiting, you know, our own uh, domestic oil production and ex- ex- exporting that oil production, um, you know, is is a contribution to the high oil prices. And um, so I, I'm hoping that that will be the case because I think that's somewhere where people should follow us, follow the data and follow what actually happened. Uh, but come November will be decision time. You know what the you know what the oil stuff actually kind of reminds me. It, it it reminds me of the the oil and the inflation. So it reminds me of the original mask stuff, right? Where COVID happened, they're like, oh, don't don't wear masks, and then it kind of gave this like elaborate reason. And like your common sense for like a lot of people was like, I don't know, they must must help like a little bit and in some situations. Right. And they're like, no, 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 like, and they did the same thing with like in inflation, right? Like they started spending all this money. Like, and a lot of people were just like, this is, this is going to be really inflationary, you know, right. They, they do these, they do these things that are like really obvious. Right. And then they trot out like a bunch of like academics to explain this, like, Oh, no, well, actually, actually, um, this this isn't going to be inflationary because we well you see we have these demographics expansion here and the dollar demand and then they, they like kind of hand wave it away and then the same thing like happened with like like oil right and the pipeline like this this stuff is like kind of like obvious when you when you when you you, you cut this production you do that, all these like prices go prices prices go up right but their baseline thing is like they're like okay we think that these policies need to be put in place for what we consider to be the greater good. And even if they hurt people, it doesn't matter. We'll just lie to them and we'll harm all these people because what we're doing is getting to this end state where the world is better and the ends will justify the means, right? And in the, in the, in the, in the meantime, they're sort of like destroying their credibility. I mean, like, like, like obviously like the oil and climate change stuff is like the, the biggest example of this, right? Like they're, they basically have this idea that like the world is going to move to this like place, this, this panacea where there's like renewable energy, all the, all, all the stuff is evil. Right. And it's, it's obviously going to be really harmful to all the little guys to just go there really, really quickly. Right. Because people can't buy $50,000 electric cars, like, like all the the, the the rich white liberals can in San Francisco, right? There's a lot of people who can't do that and they depend on these things, right? But they, they just sort of like invent these like elaborate reasons for why the thing that they're doing is it's all it's not actually going to be how oh no, that's not why it happened. And it's just it's just like all bullshit, right? They want to get to this place. They think the ends justify the means. They make up a bunch of like elaborate lies and try to wave some like experts, quote unquote, in your face face to like justify it. And then like, you know, 12 months later, you look back and you're like, oh, like that was bullshit, right? It's the same thing every right. time. And this is why people are like losing faith in everything. The, the best example is just to follow their narratives. You know, the first narrative was uh, inflation is transitory. And then for a brief moment, we had the inflation could be good for you narrative, which was like late November, early December. Feel free to type in, you know, inflation is good for you. And you'll see around end of November. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> end of November, early December, there were articles like why inflation can be good for everyday Americans. And I remember we were trading this back and forth in our thread. Like, 
what the fuck are they talking about? And they, they kind of like weave this narrative where your wages are going up and they didn't, they leave out the part where, you know, your expenses are going up faster than your wage growth is. So you, you can kind of follow this path. And then I think they saw this easy outlet, um, you know, with this, uh, invasion in Ukraine to kind of put it on a, a, a villain and they will continue to, um, this won't be, this won't stop all the way up until the, to the midterms, um, and just just go back and look at the January inflation report if you want to you know center yourself back to reality because energy was one of the highest um, pieces of that January inflation report. In addition to food, in addition to housing prices, the, those three were the largest increases in that January inflation report before this invasion happened. And they're going to start to pin inflation, uh, food inflation prices on this war as well, because a lot of uh, a a potash. Question, yeah, is there not a real case uh, of of supply shortage because of because of this conflict and things coming out of Ukraine, or just generally when it comes to especially like food? Just take food as an example. Like this has been a topic that's come up. It does this war affect things, and to what degree? really is the question. Yeah. I mean, certainly it, it does. Right. Like I, I think um, when it comes to um, food, you know, fertilizer is, is definitely a, a big export of, of Russia, which impacts food prices. Um, oil, you know, particularly in Europe is, is supplied by, uh, you know, to, to a large extent by, by Russia. Um, and when you look in the U S though, it's, it's low single digit amounts of oil come come from Russia. So when you're talking about how much you pay down the street to the gas, you know, for gasoline to fill up your car, you know, it'd be hard pressed to to say that, you know, US oil gasoline prices are due solely to this Russia invasion. And it, you know, there's a whole supply and demand matrix comes in. I'd say there's probably a handful of other reasons and why oil is higher than than this. Granted, oil is a global market and it's determined by you know uh, you know the the global supply and the speculation of that supply in the future. So we did see a spike up to 125. We're back down to back down under 100. 100. Yeah. yeah. So um, we should just get it and, from and the mullahs. They've got plenty. Yeah, and just. Before this, we were, um, you know, just hovering around 85, sub 90. So we're not that far off from from where we were. But, um, you know, just just kind of center yourselves back to where we were in January and um, be be cautious about the the narratives that come out leading up to the midterms. I got a, I got an interesting question, too. Like, so we've been talking about misinformation and how, like, any political regime is going to try to, like, dupe you into their own narrative is there room for an alternative is there is there space now like are are we as a populace awakened enough where we could like accept something completely different like could we accept sort of more more truth you know it's like it's like talking to your kids almost like i don't think none of us have kids so it's like we don't we don't we're not really like talking like that but like when you're talking to your children you don't want to just like give them the truth right like that would shock them. Like Santa uh, Claus doesn't exist. You mean that? Right, right. So you like, <laughs> you kind of have to maintain a little bit of that. I am imagining, you know, like I'm imagining I have never been present, but I'm imagining that's like part of it. Um, what do you think? Like, is there room for some different path where you don't just have to just like feed bullshit? 
There's Are you the asking room. if the system just doesn't support that, right? Like the whole system, like people are open to the taking of, the, like people are learning, right? People are, are waking up to a degree, right? But the system is sort of designed so that you're just sort of forced to choose between these two like establishment extremes. And then each side spends their entire existence sort of like fear porning the other side into being like, yeah, this... I know this current. I know this guy looks like he's gonna die any day, but like we can't have that guy, right? And each side just does their version of that, right? And then people are just like, "Yeah, you're right. It's just that would that would just be so bad." So I just I gotta take this. I gotta take this piece of crap over here because I don't want that worst piece of crap. Like I I don't I, mean, I don't know how this changes until like we we fix that. I think we're gonna see a widening of the extremes. So here's some, here's a little few data points. So 538 has, um, you know, polls on approval or disapproval of Joe Biden. And I think the White House administration and kind of the kind of, you know, media machine that happens in, in any presidency, in any administration will latch onto this. Um, February 20, 26th. So that was probably the previous seven days. So kind of like on the date that um, the invasion happened, Biden's approval rate was 40.8%. And the most recent as of today is 42.8%. So he, he, he bumped uh, two to three points in approval rating since, since then. So, you know, I think they will latch onto this and continue to ride it into the midterms because they're, they're showing, but what's also interesting is that his disapproval rate has kind of um, also gone up. So you, you've seen the people who already disapproved of him increase their disapproval because maybe they they see this faint uh, and brazen kind of lie being being uh, proposed to them. But but people have seen how he's responded to the to the invasion and how we've uh, you know responded uh, kind of increase. So I don't know. I think mm. it's interesting to point out that his approval rating is kind of slightly uh, bumped up since then. So we'll see. Yeah, those are two very, very opposite things. <laughs> And yet they can, yeah, they can both be true. Interesting. Um, all right. Do you guys have any more closing thoughts on this topic? Before yeah, we- I mean, it just kind of to transcend the topic. I mean, Armand, you've been talking recently about just how this is a, a problem of our time. You know, how do we determine what is true? And this is like a classic example of it. We're living it real time and we kind of have to rely on our our close group of friends and the, the people we follow to kind of help us filter through this. And you, you, you risk creating an echo chamber for yourself, but mm. you also have to uh, choose um, how you filter your own, your own media and your own information. And so hopefully, um, you know, we're, we're somewhat of a, a middle ground for filtering that information. Um, but it's certainly going to be um, one example, one data point in, uh, you know, a multi-decade, you know, problem that you've kind of continued to brought up, bring up, which is how do we know what is true? So it'll be, uh, you know. Yeah. You know, another related thing that we have to be careful about right now uh, in terms of accepting what's given to us is around this war. I mean, everything coming out of both sides right now is just complete propaganda. I mean, it's impossible to know anything. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it's funny. Like I remember like when, when conflicts happened in the past, Twitter used to serve as like a, uh, 
a source of truth because you assumed that you were getting the intel directly from the citizens of the country, like uh, in Egypt when shit went down, you know, years ago. Like that was a way to really stay in touch with reality. Like what's happening at ground zero? You can't trust anything anymore. Not only is the Ukrainian stuff propaganda, but the Russian stuff is obviously propaganda. So that's that's a really challenging um, thing to deal with in general. I don't know if you have anything on that, Stephen. I know it's a passion topic for you, but if not, we can transition to immortality. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think people just need to get better at being aware of their surroundings. You know, like whenever you're seeing something on Twitter, you just always have to ask, okay, where is this coming from? What is their agenda? Right? right. Like, like everybody has some sort of agenda. There's very few people who are just putting stuff out there to the universe just, just because, right? And yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what there is to do other than to either do the work to kind of dig into stuff or to just, you know, take a step back whenever you want to feel like really like outraged by something or like something so obvious, like it's good to check yourself and take a couple steps back because things are, things are not always that way. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was, they reminded me of something I was that Nick was talking about earlier in terms of like disinformation with like the, the, uh, the administration, right? Like the other thing I've seen thrown around is like, there's this throwaway line they're using like, Oh, there's 9,000 leases, not like, why don't they use those leases? And, and it's just, it sounds like, yeah, why not? Like, it sounds like very duh for like somebody who doesn't know a lot about the topic, but like, there's a lot of stuff they don't tell you, right? Like, like I think that the number of leases not being used is at like an all time low right now. Like I think like something like 75% of like all leases are like being actively, um, drilled on, which is as far as I'm aware is like all time high levels, right? There's also a lot that goes into getting these things up and running. And, you know, besides just getting the, they, they, they do this like hand wave thing where they, they're trying to put it off on like, oh, it's the corporations who don't want to do it. Right. It's the same thing behind, like, they're trying to blame the greedy corporations for the price hikes. Like, oh, their profit margin. Like, like this is the first time in history, like corporations realized they could like raise prices to make more money or something. It was never an option before. <laughs> it's just like, it's just so dumb for anybody who knows like, basic economics Business. right it doesn't pass the smells test but like people people buy this bullshit and uh, you know until people become a little more educated and skeptical and start calling it out it'll keep happening but i do think that like they, they're slow to adapt right i think that the bullshit doesn't really work well at all anymore and they're going to keep going back to this well for a long time before they realize that you know the 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 tides have have shifted it's 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 a different ball game out yeah. there and that's why they're probably going to lose and lose like very, very bad and then have some sort of come to Jesus moment. And then we'll get the next party to come in and do the same stupid shit. And, mm -hmm, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll, be, you know, we'll one, be having the same conversation. One, one little piece of alfalfa on this topic as we transition. Um, the one of the few people that I know today who I can say is doing the best job they can possibly do. Like to your point, Stephen, they have their own motives and you have to try to parse out what the real motive there is. But the person that I think is doing honest work, honest, hard fucking work at identifying truth and talking about like, like basically like a one person version of this little political culture segment that we have on Alfalfa is Russell Brand. 
And for someone who doesn't watch Russell Brand's content, if they're hearing that for the first time and they're thinking, wait, you're talking about the long haired British comedian guy who like humps things and he's a complete degen and drug addict. Yes, I, I am. I would highly recommend tuning into Russell Brand's YouTube channel. And if you haven't been exposed to him in the last few years, you will be shocked at what you find. The man is doing really hard, good work. And he does it with a dose of comedy still, but uh, his intellect is through the roof, off the charts. He's a very sharp person. And he is constantly in every single episode and in every attempt that he makes to uncover truth in something, he holds the opposites. He really, really tries to argue for both sides and to, and, and acknowledges that these two things that he might be proposing can be true at the same time. And what the, my favorite thing is that he leaves it up to his audience. He always says, all we're doing here is we're going to try to dig into what we understand to be true. And it's up to you to decide what is and what to do with that. And we're all going to have a different opinion at the end of this conversation. Great. Let's go. And he just dives in. So if you want more of this kind of stuff, I think he's someone that I personally would and I mean, I hope he doesn't end up being like a charlatan and I'm going to eat my words, but no, I think it's a good wreck. I like, I like Russell's stuff. It's good. Yeah. I, I think you should mention too, that I, I think he's clean now. I don't think he's. Any, yeah. 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 Any longer so, a, of course. A no, he had a long road to recovery, wrote books about it. Um, yeah. He's, he's come a long way. Him and Glenn Greenwald are, are both fascinating for me lately mm-hmm. in terms of, okay. So let's, um, Let's pull our minds out of the political, messy muck that we've been in. Maybe take a deep breath myself and think about the, I mean, this is a big topic for a lot of people listening, right? The idea of dying to start there is, is, is not exactly something that people think about very often. And so to even play with the idea of living forever is a wild concept that I don't think anyone ever really takes the time to, to explore. So what I would like to do is to explore it, to discuss the possibilities of it, maybe even your, your personal opinion on whether you, if you, the option was presented to you, whether you would or you wouldn't, and anything that you can share in terms of longevity and health span research and knowledge you have around what you or people that you may admire or have learned from are doing to increase their, their health spans. But I think maybe just beginning with like, is it possible? Is it possible in our lifetime to be specific? Like, Oh, are we talking about forever? Well, yeah. Are we talking about forever or like living to 200? (laughs) Okay. I think so. Vitalik, has yeah, a, go, has, has a thing that he says, which is that I'll give Vitalik. If Vitalik was here, this is, this is, I think, what he would say. He said on a different podcast that he believes that a person born today has a 50%, and then he upgraded it. He said up to 75% chance of living to the age of 3,000. 3,000 is, is, is what he means is forever. You're immortal. So I do mean now, I do mean forever, but let's just call it a thousand years. Like, do you think that, that we here could, or that somebody born today in our lifetime could live to see the age of 1000 or, or be immortal? 
let me just like define the terms first because I, I, I will answer your question. But I think like what we're talking about now is this idea of like actual age, meaning how many years have you been existing versus like biological age, which is like how fast your cells deteriorate, how much like uh, energy your mitochondria produces, et cetera. This is like how you can measure. This is like how, how guys like David Sinclair measure aging. Uh, so it's like biological age versus actual. Like, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean time. Yeah. yeah so like maybe time we could exist forever. Like, uh, I think like the more interesting conversation, cause like, I don't think any of us wants to exist in a jar, you know, like we don't want to exist in, in like a little tube with our mind, you know, like we, we want to sort of like really exist, you know, like, so, uh, you, you even mentioned the term health span earlier. Yes. It's like, uh, that's, that's distinctly different from lifespan, which is in which you're still existing, but health span is like in which you're thriving. I, I imagine like, that's like, uh, when you're, you're actually living life versus just like existing within life. Uh, and I think, I think defining those terms is important. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Um, go ahead. If someone has something, well, I guess, uh, otherwise I'll dive in. No, yeah. I, I want to give your take. Dive in. I'll give, no, give, I your, to give dive your take. In. So, okay, so my take, my take is my take is this. It's simply that, um, I don't want to live forever. Living forever is a prison. Like the, the earth becomes your own cell and you're like your prison cell, like you're stuck inside of it. And like, uh, it, it sounds awful to me. Like the, the fact mm. that everything is finite makes everything valuable. Um, so I'm, I'm clearly in the camp where I don't want to live forever, but I, I do want to live longer, longer than, um, you know, like the, the median Normal, age, current, like the median yeah. death rate of like 85 years or whatever it is. Like I, I'd like to live longer than that. Um, how much longer? I think, I think we're, if we were to really dig in on that, it's like, well, what are you sacrificing? Because mm. at, at, at some point you also want to live for today. Like, you want to be like the best version of yourself today. And how much do you want to sacrifice that to extend the long tail? That, that's a, a more interesting combo. I'm, I'm excited for one of the pieces of this because I know that Steven has a distinctly different take on that. So I'm really excited for Steven's take on that, but maybe a couple more like fundamental things to just mention here. So most people, when they think about the idea of living forever and, and health span science, like th that they need to understand is most people misconstrue the idea of immortality projects and research. And they assume that that means that you're going to look like you're 200 or 300 or 500. And the moment anybody starts thinking about saggy skin and looking like they're 200 years old and living that long, they're like, absolutely not, or losing organ function and constantly needing surgery. That is not what the science in this arena is about. What ultimately it's about is preventing aging. It's cellular breakdown that happens that scientists are working on preventing and or reversing. So what does that actually physically look like? Maybe it looks something like this or something like you're 50 or 60 years old and you kind of are able to, to stay in that zone physically forever. And if we want to get really crazy about it, Maybe it's not a tube, uh, living in a tube, but you know there is a legitimate idea of merging with AI. There is a legitimate idea of perhaps being more um, of a cyborg than we already are, by the way, because I think we already are. And 
perhaps you're partially of this biological organic body that you currently have today. And there's aspects of you that are uploaded and do live forever. And your consciousness has the opportunity to continue existing. So maybe you reach a point where you're 200 or 300 years old and the health span science can't keep up anymore, but you have the option to choose whether your consciousness, yourself, you, Eric, you, Stephen, and Nick, as you know yourself today to continue or not to turn on or turn off? What if you have the option to literally feel like you have a physical life form, but you're actually living in a VR metaverse? Like what, what if you truly would know no difference? Would you choose to turn off your consciousness? I think that most people, and I'll answer for myself, I think that most people would say no for quite some time. I think most people would have no problem living for 1000 plus years, but to Eric's point, eventually they would almost certainly hit the point where they'd say, thank you and good night. And the reason for that is that life is beautiful because it's finite. All that you know and love and seek to exist for and reach for is there and exists because of mortality. I don't know. I don't think that immortality is actually what we're seeking because I think that the immortality we're seeking is beyond this consciousness. And maybe it is what we become when we're no longer here. Um, I have no idea, but I think that's important for people to, to understand. So personally, I, I would like to live for much longer. Um, but would I want to live forever? Uh, no, but I know that there's a lot of things that we, so I think that's going to be partly a partly possible through your own behavior what you eat, how you exercise, you know, to your point, Eric, you sent something in the thread. You should open, you should talk about this glucose levels, some of the science that people like David Sinclair are studying, but most, most of the formula is going to be through technology. Like you could, I'm not saying you could really fuck yourself up and, you know, be in a bad position and technology will save you. I think it's going to be the combination of the two, but most of the effort is going to be accomplished through technology is my, is my guess. But I think in our lifetime, we'll have no problem living a couple hundred years minimum, like no question. I hope you're right. Very skeptical of that though. But you're skeptical well, Mr. because it involves like personal choice, you know, like David Sinclair's top two tips from his book about how to live longer are to eat less calories and to work out, uh, have an arduous workout to the point where you're, you know, out of breath every day. Those are his two, you know, main tips to live longer. So I'm skeptical to the point that like, you know, we know that as common knowledge and, and not everyone follows that. And so it, it probably won't happen. Um, you know, Beyond that, he issue, you know, he kind of talks about prescriptions and, and drugs and other technologies beyond that. But his top two tips are pr pretty simple and it's up to personal choice at that point. Are you, are you saying you wouldn't or because you clearly are? You're just saying collectively, people. <clears throat> yeah, collectively. Like yeah. it doesn't seem like the diet. You're telling me the diet and exercise is actually beneficial. <laughs> <laughs> really going out of the there. Sounds like I, some baloney. I, th I think you're overstating the uh, degree of control some people have, though, because from like what I've looked into, like there's just certain people who have 
particular genetics. Like the telomeres on there, there's they they just don't they just don't go down. And then that's how you get these like grandmas who've like smoked like ten cigarettes a day and just eaten like bacon for for a hundred years, living a hundred five, and it just doesn't matter what they do, you know. And then there's people who have like a heart attack when they're forty five, in spite of the fact that they work out a lot. That's not to say sure. that like you should just give up because like well you might be you know because you do have some control but like it is there's th- going to be edge cases in everything isn't there like if you, if you just like focus on the edge cases aren't you missing the big point like well i think the edge case i think people living to these like really long a- ages they they are like the they are like the, those people are like the edge cases and like i think a lot of it is just today genetic, yeah you know today but what about when science catches up and it provides optionality, access to the drugs, ubiquitous access to the drugs? What if the technology becomes cheap and accessible um, and it's not only reserved for the rich? And in our lifetime, in 10 or 20 years, we're seeing people all around the world have access to these drugs, not just things that you have to go to your doctor and you know beg for like metformin, um, which some, some people here have access to, which let's just mention what metformin is. Can anyone give like a, uh, I mean, Eric, I feel like you have a, a good uh, you've d- you've done a bit of a deep dive on that because this is something that David Sinclair mentions. There's a lot of research around, and it is a little bit of an alfalfa hack for people who might be interested. Sure, I, like, I, and I'll I'll just give the disclaimer that I don't actually think it's a hack. I think it's like a a crutch. Um, but what it is is it, it like uh, regulates the blood glucose insulin uh, relationship in the blood. So um, I think like modern Western society has like grown more sedentary has grown more like eating sugars and uh, like non-complex carbohydrates, which spike your blood sugar levels. And that damages like the insulin uh, relationship with the blood. And then like metformin helps to sort of regulate that. Um, So I think they're, they're showing positive correlation with the drug metformin and, and longevity, but I think it's like, it's not, um, it's not like really the, the answer. It's just like, I think the answer is actually just like living a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. For now. Yeah. I mean, David Sinclair is like a lot of base of his research is, is you want the lowest blood sugar level and you want to be as, as insulin resistant as, as, as possible. Um, you know, I've used, uh, continuous glucose monitors before I highly recommend them. They're, they're pretty damn expensive right now. Um, I think it's like 300 bucks for, um, two devices, which last you four weeks, um, is kind of like the kind of open market on your uh, tricep there. Yeah, exactly. They're kind of go right on your tricep and they hook up into an app and you turn into a cyborg, like Armand mentioned, and it feeds in your, you know, continuous, I think every 15 minutes, it measures your, your glucose levels and you can kind of track how alcohol and how fried chicken sandwiches and salmon all affect and tequila uh, affect your, your, your glucose levels. And everyone's probably a little bit different, but I'm pretty sure far away to learn about, you know, how your body reacts and how to, and, and even particularly how exercise impacts those glucose levels. So, um, you know, in 10 years, I think those should be, um, you know, pretty widespread. It's kind of mind blowing that insurance companies don't take mm-hmm. the, the standpoint that like issuing those things 
um, particularly to high risk categories, isn't a good preventative metric for um, humans, not a lot, let alone the, the, you know, how much they lose um, when, when, when their clients uh, don't, don't keep their blood sugar levels low. You know, I think it, it should be kind of one of those things that insurance companies proactively and preventively well, they're not preventively in the business. provide. They're not in that business, Nick. That's not, <laughs> I feel like they are, you know, it just, uh, prevention? Preventative it's just expensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if, if you're in an insurance company and you're looking at a risk sure. pool of people, if you could take your highest risk people and lower their mortality rates, or just at least, you know, to, to speak rawly about it, like how much they cost you as an insurance company, like you would most likely like them to, um, you know, slap one of these CGMs on uh, every three months before they arrive to their doctor's appointment. So the doctor can look at them and say, hey, you know, you ate this thing at one point and spiked your glucose levels above 140. We need to talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, so th- I those wanna, things should, I wanna, should be widespread. I, I want to know, Nick, you as a human being. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know, do you want to live forever? And do you think there, that is a desire for a human being? Is there value in that? Okay. So I think I've boiled this down to one thing that I only care about in this one decision. Um, and I'll start off by mentioning uh, Tim Urban put, published an article on this, and he issued a hypothetical. So he's the author of uh, the uh, Wait But Why blog, which has produced some pretty viral content about um, esoteric ideas such as immortality. And he issued this hypothetical: if you could, if you had ten minutes to decide, and you could enter in a calculator how many years you will live what number would you put in? You have 10 minutes to decide. You can't talk about anyone what else they're going to put in. And the number, what he put in doesn't matter, but what came in to his calculus is what matters is all he cared about was what number his closest friends and family were going to put in. Meaning were they going to put in the same date as him? Were they also going to choose to live 5,000 years or were they going to type in something crazy like 50 million years, or are they going to put in something really low, like 500 years and he'd have to live you know, 4,500 years after that point without his closest friends and family. And, you know, uh, if, if, you know, de- depending on who's listening to this, you know, some people have, and some people haven't, but if you've ever lost anyone close in your life, you, you will know that it, it, it brings about a whole new level of pain to the human experience to lose something super close in your life. And, you know, I, I think for me, it comes down to a simple equation is like, how long can I live with you guys equally a part of my life, including my, my family members? Um, and that's all that, that really matters. Um, because I don't want to live, you know, like, like Eric said, that kind of, uh, planet earth becomes your own cell and it becomes this painful part when you kind of, um, maybe, uh, strike love or friendship and those continually lose, you lose those friendships and relationships over time repeatedly, and that's when it comes this realization that, you know, this is a cell and not freedom. And so to me, it's about if we could, uh, you know, all as one live a little longer, that sounds great to me, you know, and, and kind of use our bodies to the, to the fullest. So I don't know, that's my singular angle on this topic. So if, if you can kind of do it with your, your closest friends and family, that sounds a whole lot of fun. I certainly would like to. Um, but if it's not without those, then might, uh, 
Yeah, might, might want so to pull have, the You have 10 minutes to decide. First thing you do, open up Discord, go to Alfalfa and be like, boys, <laughs> boys, how long are we doing in here? <laughs> Wouldn't mind being surrounded by, yeah, that's a good community to be around. Okay, Armand, I actually, I got another question for you, like a, a hypothetical too. It's like, um, imagine, because like they do show sort of negative correlations to um, certain like hormones. Like, uh, have you heard of this? Like, it's like this insulin growth factor, IGF-1, they call it. So oh, yeah. like the more IGF-1 in the body, uh, the, the less your longevity, right? So like you mm. want to try to limit this factor. So um, they've like shown this uh, study in mice and these mice that are like, you know, only 60% of a normal mouse's body weight can live, you know, longer than a normal size mouse. But it's like, Okay, so arm on you are uh, a strapping young lad. You got a you got a nice muscular structure. Like, what if I told you you could live eighty years longer, but you got to be a little raisin. A little you, you have to be a little raisin, like a little worthless <laughs> physical raisin. Like, are you taking this deal? I think it's a it's a very interesting question. I think that all the things that we know today in health span and longevity science that we think are going to be the factors that enable us to live longer are not even 5% of the equation of why all of us will be here in a thousand years. I think you guys underestimate all the stuff that will be possible. We're talking about genetically engineering and modifying ourselves. We're talking about, I'm talking about being that cyborg that has a part of its consciousness uploaded into this internet that's in the cloud. I'm talking about living in the metaverse. These are all things that are absolutely impossible to think about right now. So the only things that we do think about are those physical hacks that we can make, like being of a certain amount of weight, uh, controlling our glucose levels, the IGF-1 factor. These are all things we have control over now. I don't think they'll account to more than five, maybe 10% of what makes a human live longer. Also, I don't think planet earth will be the, will be the prison. You'll have Mars. You'll have probably the local galaxy as a whole. And we'll probably at that point, I don't know, maybe even have the option. I mean, the question is, do you want to be there when we are an intergalactic species? Cause we're going to make it. So do you want to be there for that? Is <laughs> Is really the question. Steven Are you wants sure? to be there for that. Are you sure we're going to make it? Because I, I I'm just positive need to go up to, to 3,200. Are you sure we're going to make it intergalactic? I'm positive we're going to make it. I know we're going to make it. And Steven's going to be there with me. I don't know about you guys. Steven? I just like don't get you guys on this like live forever thing. It's like I so- thought you want it the most. You, this, you guys are like overcomplicating this, right? This isn't some like weird philosophical experiment where you're choosing like immortality, like some cursed Greek god who like wants to end it all and he can't, right? Living forever, having the ability to live forever is just granting yourself optionality. Like if you get bored, just go skydiving with a parachute, without a parachute and just call it a life. You know, like, why wouldn't you at least want the option? Why would you want to take away the option? I don't, I don't, no, I don't no, no, no one's it. taking away the option. It's the possibility of immortality existing. No, you and guys literally said, goes, I don't want to live. I don't want to live forever. I don't even, I, don't, oh, I, I don't. see what you're saying. I want yeah. to, I don't, I want I don't either, but like, we, we weren't even necessarily talking about what you're talking about. Cause like, you know, I, I think with immortality in quotes, it's like assuming you can't just like put a gun to your head either. 
but like, okay. No, no, okay. you're turning it. That, that's not going to be the reality, right? The reality right. is going to be, there's going to be some treatments and you can live a long, long time. It's not going to be some like magic spell where like when you take the pill, you can never die. And then you have to like decide whether to take the pill. You'll always have the optionality to, you know, do something, do something crazy, you know, go out with a bang if you want to. So I, I don't see totally. why you want to opt out of that. Um, I wanted to ask you guys that, do you, do any of you guys go to any of these uh, you know, doctors locally with, who are uh, you know creative with the uh, life extension stuff? Um, there, there are some local. I haven't haven't gone to them. Um, we we but, don't have to name any of them by names, but yeah. like, I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you have friends. I have friends who are uh, on these like monthly regimens of uh, shooting a whole bunch of stuff into themselves, and I, I got to tell you, like they make me really want to do it. They look like just absolute. They all look like Superman, virile and high energy and jacked, <laughs> and their skin looks great. I feel. Well, I feel like a, I feel like first. a crippled old man, like standing next to them. It's like really, it's like really yeah. depressing. And I'm like, should I be doing this? Should I just get on the the HGH and the peptides and the testosterone? And I don't know what else. Sure, if if you want your cancerous it. cells to grow at the same rate your muscle does, then sure, do it. I mean, yeah, and make sure you don't have cancer. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I like these doctors who provide these full body MRIs um, on a consistent basis. I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, there's a company called Prenuvo, which I've been talking to over email about. Yeah, um, I did that. You know, Is that doing a Chama thing. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I got it from him uh, a while back and just been talking to them. They have one in San Francisco, I think one in Vancouver and, and another one elsewhere. Um, they're fairly negotiable on the rates, by the way. Um, but, but Would they you say it was do, like five grand for a full scan. I think it's like 2,500 bucks, uh, for I the did full it, scan. You did, did it? the pre Novo yeah. specifically. I didn't do it through pre Novo. I did it in Indigo Valley, uh, at, because it was closer and I didn't have to fly to San Francisco. Same thing. 2,500 full body MRI. Do you and worry that it's we... just like an elaborate like lead generation thing where they're going to find something and then like upsell you like, oh, well, you, Funny. you got this. Funny you know? because they they are very different from Pre Nuvo or this other company in the sense that they were not there marketing this at all in that way. It was just something that they offered was to do a full body MRI scan. Whereas this is like for the biohacker tribe, right? And so one of the things that these doctors told me before getting involved in this and doing it was they said, are you prepared for the situation where you basically create a, I mean, I mean, the whole idea of like, you never want to do a procedure or get a scan that you don't need, even preventatively. I didn't understand this, but a doctor explained it to me really well one time where they were like, what Steven is saying is very possible. You basically open this box and you can't get out of it. You go down a rabbit hole and you think you found something. And then that requires a biopsy or that requires a procedure that requires more work or more money. So are you certain you want to do this? So it's funny. And and I trusted them for that reason, because they weren't there to really upsell me or give me another procedure after that. They were just like, we're going to give you the scans. If we see anything, obviously we're going to tell you, but you know, yeah, you have to be careful of that. That's something to be very, very careful of for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting the scan results and then just kind of, you know, seeing where the results lie and then kind of, um, you know, I think uh, modern medicine is advancing and there's certain type of uh, issues and in, in cancers that that if you catch them early, we have we have uh, solutions for. Um, 
you know, particularly, you know, for, for females, even like breast cancer, you know, if you catch it early, there, there are solutions and, and procedures where technology has yes. helped out, um, you know, increase the, the survival rate. So, you know, can't, you know, catching stuff early specifically when it comes to cancer and cardiovascular issues seem to be like the 80, 20 of, of, you know, catching early mortality issues. So, those type of scans seem to be man. Do you remember the the name of that scan, Nick, that they do on the heart over fifty? Oh God. yeah, I have it. Um, I can I can pull it up for God, you. But uh, yeah, but they, so they basically map it, all your arteries. You know, yes, right? Is that what yes. you're talking about? They do that over fifty, and the doctor I spoke to was like, if you could do a full body MRI and this scan every five years, that'd be my number one tip outside of like you know, diet and exercise as preventative It's called heart ways. flow. Oh, that's like a branded name though. Does it say right. what the it actual is, it scan is. type is? Is it like- It's um, something very angio- common. Angiogram? Yes, yes. Okay. an angiogram. Well, I think it's more advanced than angiogram. It, it like um, 3D models out every uh, artery that you have, but heart flow is the one that I know that- um, CTA- Computed tomography, angiography, CTA scan is the type of scan you're looking for. And I think they don't recommend it for people like under the age of 35, 40. And if you have any family history, they say, go for it right away. If you don't have family history and you have the money, they say, go for it at once you're like at least 35. But that's like one of the most important hacks because yeah, that can, that can prevent heart disease. And that's a game changer, which is what takes out most people. So that and full body MRI, just getting a high level overview scan of your, of your vessels, as they like to call them, your vessels and your organs, and just making sure everything's clean and dandy and looking good. But again, you have to be careful because it can set you down the wrong path at times. And if you are neurotic at all, or on edge about these things, or you tend to worry, not, not a great look either, because if you, you know, you even just doing the scans or waiting for the results can be, can be a lot for people. So you got to take each, each of these things with a grain of salt. Okay. Armand, I, I don't think I got a clear answer from you because like, I, I know that you're talking about this theoretical future in which like um, our human physique doesn't really matter, but like today it fucking does. Right. Yeah. And like, and like you're actually working on yours, like every day, like you're like building your body uh, to be stronger and faster. But like, what if, like where do like what if you could choose to sacrifice all that for longevity? Like is is that a choice that you would make? Like that's something I'm interested in knowing about you as a person. Yeah, I probably would. I guess, and that science is pretty clear, but maybe it hasn't been like in my face A and B. If you do this, you'll live longer you know, sort of thing. I think I've just been following the protocols that I know to be best, but yeah, the answer is I, I would do it. Currently, yeah, I, the, the, I fast. I think like the, the smaller, the the smaller mice live longer, smaller dogs live longer than big dogs, like et cetera, et cetera. Like, uh, yeah. if, uh, David Sinclair says, if you just like restrict your calories, that's going to, uh, sort of like excite these, uh, longevity cells yeah. or something like, uh, you know, I, I think totally. It, it, yeah, that's totally. why I, I do. I do the skipping. I do the fasting. I have the summary actually in front of me, the longevity health protocol, as I call it from the book lifespan, why we age by David Sinclair. Here is the 
synopsis of what he recommends you do beyond just the diet and exercise piece we mentioned. One gram of NMN, NMN, that's hard to say. One gram of uh, resveratrol, vitamin D, K2, a baby aspirin, 83 milligrams, avoid sugar, bread, pasta, skip one meal a day, get your blood tested, don't smoke, avoid plastic, excessive UV exposure, x-rays, CT scans, <laughs> sleep in a cold bedroom, do cold exposure and exercise. Quite a lot. And I do most of that. I take the vitamin D, the aspirin, the K2. I avoid sugar. I take the NMM. I, I eat one meal a day. I don't do cold exposure that often, all that stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm at least in the right direction. How much of that do you guys you know, do? Yeah, I feel I like Nick, like you do 20% of those. Smoke like a chimney on on every podcast episode we do. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah, I'm kind of like against the the calorie restriction, you know, group because you, you look at those people they're they're pretty frail and like the amount of muscle mass yeah. they have is is pretty low and and I don't think we you know most people know this but like I think the second leading cause of unintentional deaths is falling and it's obviously right. for older people who don't have enough muscle mass and, um, bone density. And so they fall and break their hip and it leads, it actually leads to mortality. So, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather, you know, maintain muscle mass and, uh, you know, use other means than, than pure calorie restriction to the point of which you're, you're frail and you actually lead yourselves down one of the most common ways to die for humans, which is, you know, breaking a bone at an old age. I mean, isn't I there something calories, beyond like, are you saying I'm going to break my hip? So hold on. Like, isn't there something beyond that? Like, uh, we're talking about like a 90 year old breaking their hip, but like we're thirties, like 30 year olds should be fucking strong. Like 30 year olds should be speak powerful. for yourself. 30 year olds should be strong dudes. And if you're going to be like a little frail, little raisin, I don't like want to be the, a raisin in the interest of life extension, like go have fun doing that. But like, I'll die earlier than you, but have a way <laughs> more fun life. So I'm, I'm with Nick. I, I, I'm not into the whole calorie restriction thing. Um, and, but I am into the fasting thing. I feel amazing fasting most of the time. Um, but look, I don't really lift weights other than squat and deadlift. Everything else I do is calisthenics. Shout out to K Bogues, a YouTube channel who we learned from and got trained by, at least Nick and I. And like, it's just pull-ups and push-ups, man. And so whatever my body is right now is without any testosterone. It's without any tricks. It's just the, it's just the supplements that I mentioned and eating one big meal a day and doing pull-ups and push-ups and squats. So if this is the way my body is going to look by doing that, then yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I feel healthy. I trust that my body is doing the right, right no, things right great. now. You look like, you look like you're made Thanks, of granite. Uh, <laughs> well, the, the last, I don't, I don't miss lifting weights. <laughs> lifting weights resulted in injuries and just, it, it was, it became a lifestyle. You I don't, don't think bodybuilding is where it's deadlifts, at. lifting weights. Not like bodybuilding style where you sit and you do bicep curls and bench press and chest. One press rep maxes. And, yeah, yeah. Where I was every week yeah, was like so a, a you're, you're not against lifting weights. You're against lifting weights unintelligently. Thank you for the correction. Yes, 
Um, okay. One last thing I'll, I'll recommend is like uh, Peter Tia in general, but Peter Tia has this centenarian Olympics and he basically says like, what are the, the movements you want to make when you're a hundred? Um, maybe you want to be able to pick up your great grandkids, which involves, you know, like basically a deep squat and then, you know, an overhead lift. Um, and you probably want to be able to travel. So that means, you know, lifting your 50 pound or 30 pound luggage above your head and putting in the overhead bin and, in, 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 um, in the airplane. And you probably want to be able to like, uh, I don't know, walk into a swimming pool, which involves, you know, kind of like, uh, a lunge type, um, movement. So, he has the centenarian Olympics. You can look it up and, and follow it, but there's a certain amount of movements that he's specifically training for, for when he's a hundred. And that's kind of his measure of, is his body going to be able to do what he, he wants it to do when he's a hundred. So that's, I think a pretty good uh, model to work from. Okay. Final point for me, we like, nobody here has mentioned the blue zones. The blue zones are uh, regions, geog- geographic regions in, in the world in which like there are a high concentration of centenarians, hundred year plus uh, survivors. And, um, you know, just like as an antithesis to Stephen's point, like these are, these are all people like where the telomeres doesn't come into play. It's like, it's literally their lifestyle choices uh, in a, in a concentrated area that um, is highly correlated to a, a longer lifestyle. So um, read the book blue zones. Um, and it's, it's mostly like, diet exercise and and uh, culture based mm-hmm. community i mean harvard you know grant study like who you have around you might be the greatest predictor that we currently know today for a long and healthy lifespan you get sick and you're alone it's not not going to look good for you and, and and there's far too many people unfortunately that are in that situation so us having each other, friends, any family around, that's proven scientifically to be the most important factor. And that correlates directly to, and is a pattern that's exhibited in the Blue Zones study as well. Like their culture, the people, the community around them is is one of the great factors, right? Uh, Religion, going to church, being part of something um, is a big factor. It's kind of the same thing. It's a synonym for a group of friends, community. people that care about you, community. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Did Steven answer? Thank you. But beautiful. did you answer if you're going to live forever? Would you live forever? Would you hit the. Yeah. I went on a whole button? rant about it. I still, did you guys feel like you got a clear, I didn't, I didn't, I want. He I very clearly like the, said you guys are dumb framework. for not wanting to like, like <laughs> I have the optionality of living forever. It makes no logical sense to me. And All right. Of course I would want that optionality. It wasn't, of the course. Poker player wants optionality. Surprise. <laughs> we should all want optionality in our lives. We should all be optimizing for optionality and uh, asymmetric upside. I like it. This was a blast. That's a wrap, boys. Later, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Um, let us know how you enjoyed this format. Hit us up on Twitter, and uh, we'll be listening. See you in the Discord. Peace. Thanks, Peace. guys. All right, you little DGens, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed. Head to alfalfapod.com for all of our links and socials. And if you want some real alpha, head to collectiveshift.io and join thousands of members getting the latest insights and alerts from a team of expert research analysts all there to help you create more wealth and freedom through crypto. And don't forget to use our discount code alfalfa for 50% off your first month. 
Until next time, see you then. Peace.